Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. well and we'll try to finish that up next week but that's what we're talking about and so today just a little bit uh, we're going to be talking about uh, one of one of man's attempts to uh, describe or to explain the nature of God uh, which happens to be one of his attempts man's attempts I underscore man one of man's attempts is is to explain it by means of a Trinitarian doctrine all right but we're going to look back to the way that scripture explains it the way that scripture uh endorses it and so we're going to speak of uh the godhead today amen and i'm going to pray again you have another opportunity tonight to be in service another opportunity tonight there will be people in here this afternoon cleaning this church so you can be here tonight there'll be people here cleaning this church this afternoon so you can be here tonight and so we tip our hat to the cleaning crew and those that are involved in that that uh, give of their time on a Sunday afternoon, right, uh, to clean and sanitize and such so that you can be in service tonight. So we're so appreciative of all these things. Amen. Amen. God, we come to you this morning. I pray, oh, Lord, today that you're able to help us, God, in the next little while as we would, Lord, turn our hearts and our attention to the word of the Lord. God, to this aspect, Lord, of the Godhead, I pray, Jesus, today. God, bring an enlightenment, understanding, I pray, God, to the souls and the hearts of each and every individual. God, will not fail to thank you and praise you for it. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen to the church. Say amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. We have already talked about for two weeks basically this Godhead, and so we continue uh, this morning in the fact of giving some parameters to uh, what uh, men have described as the doctrine of the Trinity. Again, man's attempt uh, to explain the nature of God. Uh, The Trinitarian doctrine would explain the nature of God on this wise, that God consists of three separate and, and, and this is, I know someone's, if someone just gets on the front of this and doesn't watch any more of it today, they're going to think I'm endorsing Trinitarianism, but I'm not. Amen. I'm, I'm telling you what it is so that you know what it's not. All right. And so God consists of three. Their, their uh, theory is, is that God consists of three separate and distinct persons, uh, namely Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and that each of these three distinct separate persons are uh, independent person or independent personality. That is each of them co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal uh, with each other. Uh, within uh, the, 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 the doctrine or dogma, if you will, of the Trinity. They believe that God the Father is the first person, all right, in the Trinity, that God the Son, this is the terminology they would use, God the Son is the second person in the Trinity, and that God the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. Uh, but something, again, that we must understand, uh, this is a doctrine that was processed and developed over time. 
This is a doctrine that even came into existence hundreds of years after the apostles were already dead. This is something that developed over time. This is something that, if you will, came after the fact. And so we have a precedence of the Bible going back 4,000 years ago, uh, all right, that predates all of this creed or this doctrine that man has attempted to use. Something that... Uh, you can say it is important. I, I think it's, it's, it's legitimately important, and that is, and it's very simple, but the word Trinity never appears in your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Never. It, it is not a biblical term. It's never found in your Bibles. Amen. As a matter of fact, other ways in which it is spoken of triune God, you, will never, you don't find that in your Bible. You do not find the, the, the verbiage of triune God. You do not find the verbiage of separate and distinct persons in the Scripture. You do not find the words co-equal, co-eternal, or coexistent in Scriptures. For that matter, you do not find God the Son, that verbiage directly, that phrase. You do not find God the Son in Scripture. You'll only ever find the Son of God. You will not find God the Holy Ghost in Scripture. In the Bible, you will never find those terms uh, throughout the Scripture. And so their perception of God is that he's three separate persons that are working together to form one God. They used to use the phrase years and years ago that there was one in three and three in one, but they defined them as distinct, separate persons. And so, again, what we try to found uh, the belief of the church on today and I'm not just saying as apostolics, but someone that would do a sincere search of the scriptures of Old Testament and New Testament. The foundational doctrine of the Bible is a monotheistic doctrine that believes that there is one God that expressed himself, namely in one solitary person, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ that was born in Bethlehem's manger, amen, in the New Testament scripture. And so this doctrine of monotheism, not Trinity, is reiterated over and over again, both in the Old and the New Testament Scripture. And since uh, the Lord has declared himself that he changes not, then I do believe that it remains the same. It's not that we got fresh enlightenment in the first, second, third centuries, and now we apply that because we know something that the early believers didn't know. That's not the case. There is no new enlightenment, amen, that took place here. This is the same one God, amen, that would express himself in Bethlehem's manger. Again, and I've reiterated it several times, in the Old Testament alone, there are in excess of 3,000 scriptures about the oneness of our God. And we have read those in, in previous Sundays, how none beside him, he created alone. And when you start looking at that, none beside you or and you talk about alone I don't know how that develops into another person or another entity the Bible the the uh, if you want to call it the hallmark of monotheism but you can find it in Genesis mind you uh, but the hallmark of monotheism of Deuteronomy 6 and 4 here O Israel the Lord our God is one Lord affirms the truth in the Old Testament, quite clearly, not using many words. I don't think it's a confusing, uh, confusing sentence. But he also reaffirms that also in the New Testament Scripture. Uh, if you'll note it in Mark chapter number 12, verses 28 and 29, Jesus reaffirms this. The Bible says, And one of the scribes came 
having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all, right? Which is the first commandment of all? Because, uh, of course, in the Jews' minds, we have these 613 commandments, right? Uh, some positive, some negative. They're saying, which is, which is the first commandment of them all? And the response to that was this. And Jesus answered him, first, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. He said, that's the first of all commandments. We read in other places of scripture. He said, you know, the, the, all the other commandments hang on these two. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, right? Follow thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But even before that is the idea that we must, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Because you cannot love God. Huh? Until you have a revelation of who God is. Amen. You cannot love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, with everything you have, unless you realize who God is. Some people are frustrated themselves because they're trying to divide love. So much love to the Son, so much love to the Holy Ghost, so much love to the Father. It's hard to all love. Amen. Whenever you have this concept of three distinct persons. But I can give all my love to God. All right, all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, and all of my strength. As a matter of fact, the understanding of who God is affects everything that we do. It affects our baptism. It affects our infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Knowing who God is affects everything else concerning the Christian life and the writings of the Scripture. And so that's why Jesus said the first commandment is this. You got to have a revelation of who God is. Because if you don't have a revelation of who God is, it will muddle and muck up every as other aspect of your Christian living. Amen. And so it's important today. This is, this is not, this is not, I hate to use the battle, but this is not a, a battle or some type of contesting over terms. Amen. This is not a battle or some contesting over terms. This is a revelation of who our Lord Jesus Christ is. The Jews, of course, of Deuteronomy 6 and 4, they call that the Shema. Amen. But all of the children of Abraham, I will tell you true, uh, that they understand that there has only been and ever been one God and that expressed him in one man, Christ Jesus. I, I share a slide with you today, a quote uh, from J.H. Hertz. He said, if they got it for me today first thank you guys amen this sublime pronouncement of absolute monotheism was a declaration of war against all polytheists or polytheism because the world of the old testament they were serving a multitude of gods the egyptians multitude of gods all these other nations a multitude of gods but the lord was going to hone out a people among a people Amen. To show the world what his people should be and believe. And note what even God did, folks. God took Abraham to start, if you will, the line of the monotheistic people when Abraham and his daddy were polytheistic people. Tira, Abraham's daddy, was a polytheist. He believed in many gods. Abraham came from a family of believing in many gods. But God called him out of Ur of Chaldees. He called him away from those people, away from his kindred, away from them, to establish a people among a people of monotheism. Amen. That would believe in not a multiplicity of gods, but one 
God. Amen. And he did that, and that's what they believe. And so it says, furthermore, in the same way, the Shema, or Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The Shema excludes the Trinity as Trinity of the Christian creed, as a violation of the unity of God. Amen. They're saying, in other words, that the Trinity of the Christian creed is a violation of what Deuteronomy 6 and 4 is conveying. All right. Amen. Furthermore, when we considered the Godhead and I got a few slides today, some quotes here for you. Uh, I got another slide this morning. Amen. From from Stanley Greenberg. He's a theologian. He's a rabbi uh, over in Philadelphia. He says Christians and he's referring to Trinitarian Christians are, of course, entitled to believe in a Trinitarian concept of God. But their effort to base this concept on the Hebrew Bible, that would be predominantly the Old Testament, must fly in the face of the overwhelming testimony of that Bible. Hebrew scriptures are clear and unequivocal on the oneness of God. The Hebrew Bible affirms the one God with unmistakable clarity. Monotheism, that's the belief in one God. An uncompromising belief in one God is the hallmark of the Hebrew Bible. The unwavering affirmation of Judaism and the unshakable faith of the Jews. Under no circumstances can a concept of a plurality of the Godhead or a trinity of the Godhead ever be based upon the Hebrew Bible. Amen. And so again, what was established even in the Old Testament carries itself on through to the New Testament. It is a foundational truth. Time and time again, we read it of it in the Old and we see it again in the New. Again, God said in Malachi 3, he said, I am the Lord and I change not. We looked at those two comparisons, Brother Trout. Jesus said in the New Testament, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Amen. And we even come to the understanding that the Jesus of the New Testament, his name means Jehovah or that, that, that precious ineffable name of God. Jehovah has become my salvation. We're not talking about a different God, but we're talking about a God that's become tangible to humanity. Hallelujah. Woo. Oh man. I feel the Holy Ghost. Amen. Here today, you start talking about him. It's like the two boys, Demaeus, he shows up. Amen. Amen. And so to attempt to divide the Holy One, attempt to divide the Almighty God into three persons, and this is just not me of my age. This is me of ages whenever it was first coming to surface. People even of the day back in the, in the 300 ADs and such, whenever this started to surface, there were some that thought, well, they are tritheistic, meaning that they believe in three gods. This is not something that just monotheistic people look back on in, in order to try to prove it. No, no, no. This was people even of their own. That when they seen this start to rise, they thought, oh, they're tritheists. They're, they believe in three gods. Although they would tell you, no, we believe in one God in three distinct persons. But how do you have three persons, amen, and supposedly have one God? Distinct, separate persons. They did all kinds. I was telling Sister Sheila this past Wednesday or whenever it was, they were doing all kinds of things in their art uh, to depict this. Uh, they even had like they were depicting God the Father with God the Son sitting on his lap and then the Holy Ghost on his lap. 
Amen. There are all kinds of depictions through art that they tried to use to convey this. Amen. But to have tritheistic belief is to have a polytheistic belief, meaning that you believe in many multiple gods. Amen. The New Testament scripture harmonizes with the old on the subject of the Godhead. Look at Ephesians 4, if you will, and verse number 4. And folks, again, we have other lessons on this in our podcast from years gone by. We got God as one that went for however many weeks. There's other stuff out there. It is such an exhaustive subject. I will not exhaust it in the past two, next two, whatever weeks, although I would love to try, but I don't want to abuse you poor folks. All right? Somewhere along the line, you got to be like Pharaoh and let God's people go. (laughs) Amen. Amen. And so Ephesians 4, there is one body. Everybody say one body. There is one body. All right. And the scripture says one spirit. Even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who's above all and through all and in you all. Now, back up. I just read this this week. There's one body. If you're saying, well, that's talking about the church. There's one body. That's fine. I have no problem that you want to talk about the church. There's one body. But that body, we understand in Corinthians also, that body is the body of Christ. There's one body. Now, in order, and this, this is just me thinking out loud, all right? If there are three distinct persons, and a person would connote a body, then there would be three bodies. Ephesians says there is one body and one spirit. I have no problem with that because God is that one spirit. That came down and indwelt one body. Hallelujah. And whenever he died and resurrected and told his disciples, I go away. But if I go away, I'm going to send the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. And later he tells them, I will come to you. That spirit then that fell on the day of Pentecost is still that one spirit that created the world in the beginning. That came and indwelt that one body during the 33 and a half years that Jesus lived upon the earth. Amen. Someone say amen. So there is one Lord. There's one message. There's one faith. There's one baptism. Old and New Testament alike proclaim that there is one. Yes, God has revealed himself to us by the different relationships he has with us. He is the father because he is the father of creation. As father, he is invisible until he showed up in the man Christ Jesus. As the father, he is the spirit. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He's all-knowing, has all power. He's everywhere. As that father, as that relationship with me, he's the creator of all things, mankind. He's my father. I get a dual relationship with him as father because not only did he create me by my natural birth, he recreated me by my second birth. He is my father. But there is another manifestation that I would like to call relationship. There's another relationship I have with him. He is the son to me, the son of redemption. The son was invisible. The son was visible in the man Christ Jesus. And Jesus was the tangible, touchable expression of God. That word that was made flesh, that to wit that God was in Christ. But as a man, as 
God in Christ as a man subjected himself to the limitations of man. He hungered, he thirsted, he got tired. He had times that he became frustrated and angry. But God manifested himself in the flesh as that man Christ Jesus subjected himself to those things. At any time, he could choose and say, wait a minute, I got to stop sleeping in the boat and I got to take command of the water. Oh God. At any time, amen, he could do that. But he's a son in redemption to me because it took the body. You hear me? It took that singular body for there to be bloodshed for the remission of my sins. It took that singular body that would hang on a tree as an Old Testament sacrifice, if you may, in order to appease what needed to be appeased, in order to fix what was broken. It required a body. And so that relationship with the son, he's a son of redemption to me. But he is also the Holy Ghost of regeneration. That that renewing quantity and quality of the spirit that indwells humankind if they will receive it. And so, yes, he's my father of creation, that invisible God that created all things. He's the son of redemption because had it not been for his body, his blood, the sacrifice, I couldn't be redeemed. So, yes, he's my son of redemption, but he is also the Holy Ghost of regeneration. Because just like on Pentecost, when they received the spirit of God, eight years old, when I cried out to God, I received that same spirit and it indwells me amen I don't I don't know three different people that make up God I know God who has been in relationship to me as a father and as a son of redemption and as the Holy Ghost of regeneration amen someone say amen do you have anybody in your life that you know that might be your body man, and also your cousin, and also, you understand what I'm saying right now? That has varied relationships with you on varied levels, but they are just one person? If I said Brother Fred was my body man, I'm not saying that that's Fred, the distinct separate person from the Fred that is the cousin to me, distinct person. I'm just saying I have a relationship with him as being my body man, a relationship with him as being my cousin, a relationship with him as being my board member. A rela- Do you understand what I'm saying? That doesn't mean that he's three separate distinct persons. No, he's the same person, but I have varying relationships with him. And through those relationships, I get varying benefits. As the body man, he can fix my car. Amen. As my cousin, he's the one that's a blood relative to me. Amen. As my board member, he can... This is the first of all commands, folks. It is. Listen, this is vitally important. We many times we get baptized in the spirit of the Lord and baptized in the name of Jesus. and We live for God and we find ourselves trained wrecked in our process of living for God because we've never learned the first commandment, who God is. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Whew, we got to go. Reveals himself. So, you know, some of the places in scripture, for instance, I'm trying to look at time here. 
Would you all be mad if this turned into three weeks? You know, I'm just saying. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so the Trinity doctrine teaches that the Father and the Son are two separate, distinct persons. They use our same Bible to try to convey these things. You're going to use the same scriptures. Looking through a different lens. I've taught you this all before. I've underscored this before. They're going to use the same scriptures, but looking through a different lens. Not looking through the lens of the Old Testament writ. Looking through the lens of a man-created creed. Amen. And they'll take scriptures, for instance, like 1 Corinthians 8, verses 5 and 6. The Apostle Paul, he's really talking to people about various idols and about meat offered to idols and whether or not it was right to eat meat that was offered to idols. And we come to 1 Corinthians 8, verses 5 and 6. For though there be, for though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods of many and lords of many, but to us, Paul says, there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Right there, someone would say, looking through the lens of a Nicene Creed or a Constantinople Creed, whatever, which one you want to pick. Amen. By looking through a creed, say there are the Father and the Son, two separate distinct persons. That's where as apostolics, looking through the Old Testament writ of the Scripture, I say right there are two relationships that we need not to ignore. Because through one, we get created. Through the other one, we get regenerated. Amen. Amen. And again, this scripture, to begin with, considering the context, Paul is arguing against polytheism. He's arguing against this idea of a multiplicity of gods. He's writing against the idea of God's many. Many men's minds and understanding there were God's many and Lord's many. And Paul says, well, you know what? It's if you can really consider another God to be another God, because in the mind of the Jew, there was only one God that was sealed deal for them. Secondly, Paul is telling them there is one God and one Lord Jesus Christ. There is one God and that God has become our salvation. Lord Jesus, Jesus, Jehovah has become my salvation. There is one God, and that God has become our salvation. Amen. The Bible says in Jude chapter number 1 and verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what was happening was people may accept God as the creator of the universe. And this is much as what was happening in New Testament scripture. Even the apostle Paul, whenever he was Saul, had problem accepting Jesus Christ as the God that was manifested in the flesh. Many people saw him as an imposter as though he was trying to be another God. <laughs> but when they got the revelation... That he's the same God that created the world, but now he's walking among them in flesh and blood. It's like they grasped it. And he said, so there's some, he said, they're, they're like, d deny one or the other. They either got to accept Jesus or refuse God. No. When he said, what did Jesus say? He says, if you accept the son, you have the father. <laughs> if you accept the one, you have the other. Amen. Because we are 
This is, this is one. They're just different relationships, different relationships by which we expose ourselves, our, himself unto us. And so another thing, the Godhead would be a little inconsistent if it's just going to talk about, and you see this a lot in Scripture, always talking about the Father, always talking about the Son. And a lot of times the Holy Ghost is over here in left field, not much mentioned with some of these other things. But be inconsistent just to talk about them and never talk about the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost isn't mentioned at all uh, right here. But the true purpose of this verse, the Apostle Paul is con- conveying this to them so that they would not overlook the deity, the deity or the, the godness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The godness of the Lord Jesus. Because, see, they're saying that's the carpenter's son. He's the son of Joseph and Mary. Don't we know him? But there was another aspect to Jesus that was just fully God. The one that framed the worlds. The one, the one that spun everything into existence. And so he didn't want them to overlook the deity. The, the full godness side of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, if you will, amen, at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Amen. Because in essence, folks, Jesus Christ is nothing more but the flesh of God. The tangible part of God. Hebrews 1 and 3, and I'm going to skip around just a little bit there, Brother Zach, so just follow with me. God, all right, I want to get the subject in there. God, I want to skip down. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, I'm skipping down again, who being the brightness of his glory, the Son, being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his God's person. The express image literally means the figure stamped, the exact copy of God's person. Mason, it always just overwhelms me. That would have been a real good place to say of God's persons, but it don't. It says singular of God's person. There's only one God's person, and that's Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus. He is the exact copy. Amen. Of God's person. First Timothy 3, 16. We read this in the past couple weeks. Again, remember that God was manifested in the flesh and he was also received up into glory. John 1 and verse number 18. No man have seen God. Remember, he's a spirit. He's invisible at any time. The only begotten son, Jesus Christ, which is in the bosom of the father. We're not talking about a father and a distinct person the son in the bosom of the father anytime you're talking about in the bosom of someone being in the bosom is a place of honor what he's denoting is a place of honor amen that Jesus was a place of honor amen why because again it took his body amen in order to do what needed to be done for our sins and so that's an honorable position amen he hath declared which literally is revealed or manifest him unto us the physical manifestation of God is Jesus Christ that's the only image that man can see or will ever see of God is Jesus Christ amen Many times in Scripture you see Jesus Christ referred to as the Son of God. And many times when it's speaking of Jesus as the Son of God, it is going to showcase something concerning the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it refers to Jesus Christ concerning the Son of Man, it's going to showcase something concerning the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. But Jesus as the Son of God, amen, is not a second 
person of the Godhead. Jesus himself said he was the first and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is not a separate person from God. He's God manifest in the flesh. Someone say amen. You doing all right? We need not skirt around these, this concept and revelation of God, folks. Amen. Some said, oh, why do we just, why do we do this? It is important. John says when he went to heaven, he seen one throne and one setting on the throne. It is important. Hallelujah. Amen. They teach that the Father and the Son is two separate persons, that they are co-equal to one another. I'm telling you that the Scripture teaches us, even in New Testament Scripture, that the flesh of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, was not equal to the Spirit of God that would be termed the Father because the flesh was limited but the spirit was unlimited. Amen. John 14 and verse 28, Jesus said, you don't have to go up there, guys. I don't think I gave you that. My father, Jesus said this. Who's Jesus? Son, flesh. My father, that spirit, that's divine, is greater than I. That's not, that wasn't spoken by Peter or Matthew. or anybody. That came straight from the, the mouth of, of the, of the son, straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ. He said, my father is greater than I. How can you be greater than something and yet equal to something? Maybe in mathematics, you know, it's equal or greater. But that, that, that <laughs> right? It's one or the other. Hallelujah. But how, how can that happen? They are not equal to each other. Again, that's how we see in Jesus' earthly life that there were some things that he was limited by. Uh, he said, the son of man knoweth not the hour whenever things were going to come, even for rapture and things. The son of man knoweth not the hour when those things. The flesh doesn't know. But what the flesh didn't know, the spirit already knows. Amen. One has some limitations. One has some boundaries because God has subjected himself to those. Amen. But the spirit is all knowing. Amen. It is all knowing. Amen. So Jesus is certainly not co-equal with the Father. Amen. Amen. And we even have the dictation, right? Jesus says the works that I do, my Father does. In other words, whatever he says, I do. Well, if you're getting commands and, and, and dictated authority from somebody else, how equal are you to them? You should have the same. Huh? He says, he says, no, the flesh doesn't do anything except the Spirit dictates it. Amen. Someone say amen. amen. Hallelujah. And so the, the Apostle Paul reminds us that Jesus was more, though, here it is, Jesus was more than just mortal flesh. He was also God in that flesh. That's the reason why he says in Philippians 2, 5, 5 through 6, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who? That Christ Jesus, being in the form or image of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Ah, what? Yes, Jesus in his flesh wasn't equal. But the spirit that indwelt Jesus was that God that was eternal, that was all-powerful. Amen. They're just referring to different aspects of the same man, the human aspect and the divine aspect. Amen. Jesus Christ in his flesh was not co-equal with God. But as a spirit, Jesus Christ was God in that flesh. Amen. God was in 
Christ. My favorite verse of 2 Corinthians 5.19. Can we go to the next slide? Thank you. We did a lot of this back and forth last week, right? We had a lot of it. A lot of it. I don't, I, I don't have like 13 slides, okay? So just saving you. The Father raised up Christ's body. Galatians 1 and 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither of man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him, Jesus Christ, from the dead. Jesus Christ raised up his own body. Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple in three days. I, Jesus says, will raise it up. And then said the Jews, 46 years was this temple and building, and wilt thou rear up it in three days? And he spake of the temple of his body. So in one place we have it denoting that the Father raised it up. In another place we have it denoting that Jesus raised it up. It's not two different persons that raised it up. It's the one and saying, amen, God in Jesus Christ that raised that body up. The Father gives us the Holy Ghost, Luke 1, 13. Next slide. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? The Father gives us the Holy Ghost. But in John 16 and 7, Jesus gives us the Holy Ghost. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter, and I put after that John 14, 26, it tells you that the comforter is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. The Father gives it. Jesus gives it. Not two separate persons giving you the Holy Ghost. It's not like this father person over here gave you the Holy Ghost and then Jesus over here gave you the Holy Ghost. Then you got two Holy Ghosts. Matter of fact, we'll get in. Well, I, I'm about ready to jump horses here. but uh, All right. Amen. No, it's the God that was in that man, Christ Jesus, that's going to give you the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Father will raise up our bodies in the resurrection. First Corinthians, the next slide. Uh, I hope you're following me, Brother Zach. You okay? Okay. First Corinthians 6, verse 14. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. God's going to raise you up. God's going to resurrect you, which would namely be the Father. Jesus will raise our bodies in the resurrection. John 6, verse 44. No man can come to me, Jesus says, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I, Jesus says, I will raise him up at the last day. Honey, they're not going to draw lots among the three and say, hey, who's going to raise this one up? There's only, if that spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, it shall quicken your mortal body. That spirit that raised Christ up, that's the spirit of God, that invisible spirit. That spirit was in Jesus Christ. It raised him up, and God is going to raise us up. Amen. And it speaks that Jesus will because the spirit that is in Jesus is the same spirit that's in us. It's going to raise us up. Someone say amen. Is anybody's head spinning? I hope so. I hope you're drowning in the Bible. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So there's one God revealed in one person, Jesus Christ. Again, it says these father, son, distinct persons are co-eternal, each with no beginning and with no ending. But the son of God, according to the scripture in the New Testament, that flesh had a beginning. I don't think anybody would refute that Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger. All right. The flesh had a beginning. It was the only begotten of the Father. 
Hebrews 1 and verse number 5, the Bible says, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day, someone underscored they, day, this day have I begotten thee. Again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. John 1 and verse 14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Say, well, it talks about Jesus being the creator. It talks about God being the creator. Amen. So Jesus must have been with the Father in the beginning to have a hand in creation. And so they say he existed before because the Bible says God sent forth his son. You know what? The Bible also says that God sent forth John. But we don't say that John the Baptist pre-existed with God in the beginning of the world. The Bible also says in the book of Proverbs that wisdom was with God in the beginning. But we don't say that God has a daughter. Wisdom that pre-existed with him in the beginning. God, Jesus was with God in the beginning because God is eternal. God knows all things from the beginning. He knew Calvary. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, he seen Bethlehem before Bethlehem ever came into existence. Jesus was the word, which means spoken and even an expression of thought. You hear me? You don't say anything without it being a thought first. Even some of the things you wish you didn't say, I hate to tell you, it passed through your mind first. Before, listen, before it's expressed, it was a thought. If they would trace back, they could say that such and such was murdered on this day. Such and such was murdered on December the 25th. Was murdered on that day. We could say no. If you want to do the argument, no. He was murdered back here. Why? Well, (laughs) in essence, I guess you could say that only by means the guy who did the murder was thinking about the murder. That's the only way that the murder existed was in thought process, but it was expressed when it happened. Jesus was as the wheel, plan, and thought of God from the beginning of the world. But in Bethlehem's manger, the thought was expressed on that day. He was begotten. Amen. Amen. He, the only way that Jesus pre-exists with God is not through means of being a person but through means of being a thought that's not yet expressed. Amen. That's how that word then became flesh. It was expressed. It's tangible now. We can put our hand upon it. The Bible, Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He has a beginning. Galatians 4 and 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God, there's that terminology, sent forth, I'm not afraid of it, sent forth his Son made of a woman made under the law. Amen. And so the flesh had a beginning. The flesh had a beginning, an exact definite birth. Amen. Before that time, the flesh did not exist. It was only as the thought of God. Is everybody doing okay? Brother McGee. You get on this stuff and you just, (laughs) it's important to know the revelation of who God is. You say, well, I just can't really piece this together. And I listen to me, folks, please, please, please listen to me. I say this with as uh, much graciousness as possible. Read your Bible. Please read your Bible. 
and you read it and you read it with the Holy Ghost that you received alive and kindled because it will teach you all things. But you can't pull a lukewarm Holy Ghost to a living word and ask to see revelation. Everybody all right? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And so it goes on to speak that the Holy Spirit Trinitarian doctrine is a separate person from God, the Father, and from the Son, Jesus Christ. Biblical record. Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Spirit, all these things oftentimes interchangeable with both the Father and the Son terminology. The Apostle Paul states that the Old Testament prophets revealed the principle of God to mankind when they were inspired by the Spirit of Christ, but later on they say inspired by the Holy Ghost. I'm not talking about two separate things here. First Peter 1, verses 10 through 11. Oh man, we're going to have to wrap it up, aren't we? The Bible says, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time, notice the phrase here, the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify. Then when it testified before him the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. And so the prophets said they, they told and they, they were inspired and they were revealed some principles of God inspired by the Spirit of Christ. But then Peter, same author, Second Peter 1 and verse 20 and 21 says, knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost hold on so Peter says in in 1st Peter that the prophets had a revelation of things to come by the spirit of Christ Christ Jesus son but now he says in 2nd Peter this revelation or prophecy came by the Holy Ghost. So we either got two persons weighing in on the principle, or we have the understanding that the spirit that indwelt Christ is the same spirit that came down to them on the day of Pentecost, and it gave the inspiration. Amen. I know somebody might be bored this morning, but folks, you have no reason to be bored. I'm serious today, folks. <laughs> oh, God. I, I'm, I'm trying to be pastor. I'm trying to be gracious. I'm trying to be cautious. But if you find yourself bored with something, it's because you're not interested in what's being talked about. Okay? So we got we to gotta, we gotta trample softly here. So there's at least two spirits, or there's one spirit that inspired the prophets. Okay? Jesus was the begotten of the Father. Yet their scripture reveals that it was the Holy Ghost that conceived Jesus Christ. Right? The Bible says in Matthew 1, verses 20 and 21, and I'm, I'm skipping down in the verses here, Brother Zach. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, right? Uh, the, the father of Jesus, the earthly father, all right? The son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. That thing which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Luke 1 and verse 35, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, 
the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now listen, right? So a term, God the Father, God the Son. So the Father, it would make sense, is the Son's daddy. But the Scripture tells us that it's the Holy Ghost that conceived something in her. It's the Holy Ghost that overshadowed her. Usually, even in the modern world, whoever's responsible for conception is dad. So we either got an issue here. Jesus, we have two fathers. Huh? Or that God, the Father who is spirit, is the same spirit that indwells us. The same spirit that overshadowed Mary. Someone say amen. Malachi said in Malachi 2, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Again, he tells us about that one and God, one God and Father who's above all and through all and in you all. Amen. All right. Stand with me today. Say, Brother McGee, I don't know if I'm coming back tonight. I got enough from this morning to think about for the next week. That's good. That's good. It's important. It's important to know a revelation of who he is. Again, guys, don't you understand? If you don't know who he is, it will affect your baptism, right? If you know who he is, it will affect your baptism. If you don't know who he is, it will affect your prayer life. you don't know who he is, it'll affect your infilling of the spirit. It'll affect every dynamic of your Christian life. I cannot underscore that enough. Amen. This is vitally important. Don't worry. I don't know what I can pull off next week. Listen, I'll tell you right now, it's probably not going to happen next week. I'll probably have to go one more. All right. Is everybody okay? Okay, probably have to go one more, but that's all right. Here, let me forecast. You got something, something to look forward to. The last three lessons of this discipleship series, which will probably be six. The last three lessons of this discipleship series has all to do with Christian living. We'll be getting close into modesty and holiness and things of all of that measure. Amen. So if that makes you feel better or if it makes you feel worse, you might want me to hold right here for a few more weeks. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Let's go to the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.